All right, I want to welcome everyone today at um, all of our locations, Greenbush, Saratoga, Half Moon, and Latham. We're so glad that you chose to be in worship today. You know, this series has been amazing already, and there's so many exciting stories that have come out of it, but I'll tell you, just want to put a little bug in your ear here. I truly believe that these next uh, two messages uh, after this weekend are going to be the most powerful in the series. So I encourage you to uh, not only worship God with us on these weekends coming, but uh, invite someone to join you during this wonderful season of the year. A few months ago, I received a, a wonderful letter from a couple that I do not know. And it was not only very encouraging, but it said something about the situation they were going through. Their names are Celeste and Stuart Sherman, and they listened uh, to Grace Online. And I share this with their permission. Celeste wrote, Dear Pastor Rex, my husband and I wanted you to know how much we appreciate your sermons and your ministry. Our daughter, Mandy, has been attending about three years. Last year, became a member, and is now serving with the youth ministry. And by the way, Mandy is a fabulous servant uh, who uh, volunteers and ministers with the youth ministry. We are blessed that she has a church family where she can be a part of and minister. We live in Connecticut and have had a few physical challenges this past year and a half. My husband was diagnosed with ALS in June 2013, and on some mornings, getting out to church is quite a challenge. This is where we so much appreciate, and then she adds in quotes, going to church at Grace Fellowship. Your services minister to us more than you can imagine, as our living room is transformed into our own private sanctuary. Now, I'm going to share a little bit more from that wonderful letter a little bit later in the message. But you know, isn't it true that life throws some pretty stressful situations at us, doesn't it? It may be a disease or disability that, like Stuart and Celeste, are dealing with. Or it may be just uh, dysfunctional family relationships, how many of you would just raise your hand up and go, just an, an affirmation, so I know somebody's with me on this. How many of you would raise your hand and acknowledge, sometimes, even though you love your family dearly, sometimes family can just drive you crazy. Would you raise your hand, please? Thanks. I saw several elbows flying there, too. Yeah. Sometimes you love your family, but they can just drive you crazy. And it causes real, real stress in your life. Or sometimes it may be financial. Uh, one guy wrote to me recently and he said in his letter, I get stressed because there's just too much month left at the end of the money. And I think that comes from an old country song actually, so I knew his musical preference. But stress is a reality for almost everyone. And so let's, let's talk about that today. In today's Bible story, we're going to read a story where the disciples were absolutely stressed out. But Jesus did something. 
He gave a sense of calm and peace to these stressed out disciples. And he can do the same for us today. It doesn't really matter what you're dealing with. When you understand the power of the Lord Jesus to do something, to be there with you by his spirit in the midst of that chaos, that storm you're going through, whatever the nature of that storm is, it can totally transform your life. So let's look at this passage today, beginning in Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now, by the way, this is the lake of Galilee, all right? This is the lake called the Sea of Galilee in the Bible sometimes. It's also called Lake Gennesaret. Uh, it has, you know, two or three names there. But it's the same lake right on the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. There's a lot of emotion, I'm sure, and passion, even panic and desperation in their voices. They were stressed. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, whatever the nature of your storm is, whether it's a financial thing, a relational challenge, dysfunction in your family, whether it's physical challenge like Stuart and Celeste are encountering, storms are so common, you're probably either right smack in the middle of one right now, You've just left a storm or one is about to hit you head on. And just like these disciples, we can lose our equilibrium. We can become very fearful and filled with anxiety. And here's the thing. We really wonder, can God carry us safely through this and keep us from totally falling and crashing? Several years ago, Randy Reed a 34-year-old welder was working near the top of a newly constructed water tower in Chicago, and he fell from 11 stories up. By God's providence, he fell in a pile of soft sand. And amazingly, although falling from 110 feet, he sustained only a bruised abdomen, a bruised lung. Co-workers called 9-11. Within minutes, the rescue crew was on the scene, but there was no real problem. He was just kind of dazed and shaken up a little bit. Ironically, while he was being carried to the ambulance on the stretcher, about two feet above the ground, he looked into the faces of the paramedics and said, please don't drop me. <laughs> 
<laughs> Think about that. A guy falls from an 11-story tower, lives to tell about it, and then is concerned about a stretcher ride a couple of feet off the ground. When you're going through a storm, fear is common. 110 feet up or two feet up, it doesn't matter. Fear is there. And when you're in that storm, you can question God's ability to carry you. So let's just jump in here since this is such a common reality for all of us. And let's see, first of all, the reality of storms. And then let's talk for a little while about our response, what our response should be when we're really going through it. And you know what? I know, I know that this message is going to be particularly relevant to many of you because I know that so many in our Grace family are going through a real storm right now. So let's get started. First of all, the reality of storms. The first thing I want you to see about the reality is that storms often come suddenly, suddenly, without warning. You don't even know it's going to hit you, but it sideswipes you, and boom, there it is. Verse 23 reads, as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake. Now, when I'm reading the Bible, and I would urge you to do the same, especially the Gospels, I like to contrast and compare between Gospels. It's just a good study practice. And I'm curious about how Mark and Matthew, two of the other synoptics, what we call synoptic Gospels, talk about this incident. Both of them use the word furious to describe the intensity of this squall. But Matthew gets more descriptive. He says, without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Now, how could such an intense storm happen so quickly? Well, here's what the meteorologists tell us about that area, that Cool air from the Mediterranean Sea comes through these narrow mountain passages. Sea of Galilee is pretty much surrounded by mountains. And it comes through these narrow mountain passes and clashes with warm, humid air over the Sea of Galilee. And so lightning storms and furious winds can kick up in a matter of literally minutes. And that's what's going on here. By the way, doesn't that describe the way storms often come to us? That they're pretty sudden and, and, and unexpected? I mean, my goodness, you can get up, you think it's going to be a nice day, you think things are going normal, and suddenly, boom, you realize, man, I am having a bad day. I crack up at people who collect these little sayings, like, you know it's a bad day when, have you ever seen those? And some people even keep list of those. Here's a few of them. You know it's going to be a bad day when you call your answering service and they tell you it's none of your business. That's a bad day, starting right there. You know it's going to be a bad day when you put your pants on backwards and they fit better. It's a bad day. You know it's going to be a bad day when your horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck. Can you imagine how annoying that is? Your horn goes off, and it remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels down the freeway. It's a bad day. You know, it's going to be a bad day when you sink your teeth into a beautiful steak, and they stay there. 
that's a bad day. And you know what? It, we could go on and on, but you've been there, right? <clears throat> you know that sometimes life deals a bad day, and it's good that we can chuckle because, boy, when it really happens, <clears throat> it is no laughing matter. <clears throat> but secondly, I want you to see that storms are often very severe. Verse 23 goes on. A squall came down on the lake, so that the boat was being swamped. And they were in great danger. Matthew says waves were just coming over the boat. So in other words, the boat is being swamped. It's filling with water. They're in danger for their lives. I'm told that on the Sea of Galilee, waves can crest up to 20 feet. Very unusual for a lake of that size. And life can do that to you too. You know what? Uh, I've been here in the capital region a long time, have known literally thousands of people here, know thousands of people in Syria. And I, can I tell you something? There are a lot of people who've let the devil sink their boat. Can we keep it real for a moment? There are a lot of people who've let storms of life, whatever their root cause, wherever they came from, there's a lot of people who've let storms kind of sink their ship. They got a hole in their boat somewhere. And their boat began to get filled with bitterness. Maybe a spouse left you and betrayed you. Maybe a business associate stabbed you in the back. Maybe someone you trusted uh, and gave your heart and soul to just moved on without even looking back. Some boats go down quickly, like the Titanic. Uh, most boats, I believe, go down very slowly as the murky waters of biz bitterness begin to fill the hull of the boat. And see, so here's the deal. When that's happening to you, and some of you right now, it's like, whoa, I'm living this. This is too real. Pastor, I'm going through it right now. And, and here's the thing, when you're going through that, it's very easy to begin to look toward heaven and go, God, how could you let this happen to me? You, you, you been there? Boy, I have. I've been tempted to think, God, how, if you're all loving, how could you allow this to happen to that family? How could you allow that precious baby for whom they had prayed and hoped and planned to arrive less than perfect, less than expected? Where's God in the midst of that? When that person in which you've invested so much of your heart and soul turns away and doesn't look back. Where's God when that freak accident claims the life of innocent children and leaves families to grieve and hurt? Where's God when your carefully laid dreams and plans fall by the wayside and shatter around you? Where, where, where? Where did, where did you get the hole in your boat? I want to tell you a little secret today before we quickly move on. You cannot stop storms from happening. And you cannot control the intensity of the storm. But by God's grace, you can keep that storm from sinking your ship. You can determine if you're going to sink or float. By God's grace, you can determine, is this going to make me bitter or better? 
By God's grace, you can choose the attitude you will have. You literally can. Because it's one thing to get up in the morning and sing, oh, what a beautiful morning, oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling, everything's going my way. You're skipping through the day. You're not even touching the ground. There's a big difference between that and singing, oh, what a lousy morning. Oh, what a raunchy day. I've got a stinking suspicion. Nothing's going my way. Hallelujah. Because God is still good and God is still working for my good and for his glory. Big difference. Big difference. Christ followers between those two attitudes because at the worst of times, God is doing his best work in us. C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford scholar, acknowledged that reality when he wrote, God whispers to us in our well-being, he shouts to us in our suffering. Storms are sudden, often severe, but third, Storms can be significant. All I mean by that is, if you're not careful, you'll miss the divine significance, the divine design in them. See, here's our problem. When we're in a storm, we tend to just look at the individual pieces of this challenge we're in. It's kind of like making a cake. If you're baking a cake... You put in these individual ingredients. You throw in some flour, some shortening, raw eggs, flavoring. My goodness, none of those ingredients by themselves taste good. Even the flavoring is far too pungent by itself. But if you mix all that together with all the other ingredients and you add some heat to it, something very delicious, something very beautiful can come out of it. Verse 24 reads again, the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. And then Jesus asked, where is your faith? In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Now, most of us are a lot like these disciples. When we're in the storm, we cry out, Master, we're drowning here. And unfortunately, we kind of treat God like a life preserver. Lord, get me out of this mess. Now, can, can I just acknowledge to you a troubling pattern I see in my life? I'm just being honest. I've noticed through many years now, that I tend to seek God more and listen more carefully, just keeping it real with you, when I'm kind of hurting, when I'm going through it. I seek God more. I listen to God more. I'm more compliant with God when I'm really going through struggle than when I'm not. Is that true of you? Well, here's the deal. Sometimes God comes and he stills the waters that are raging around us. But more often, in my experience, God comes and stills the storm within me. While the storm is still raging around me. But here's the thing I want you to take away today. 
He never promises that there won't be any more storms. Because it's in the midst of the storm that we learn most about who he is. And it's after the storm that we can best proclaim his goodness as the divine designer. So that's the reality of storms. They come suddenly, they're often very severe, and if we're attentive, we can find sometimes huge significance in them because we can learn a lot of lessons when we're going through the storm. But, but secondly today, I, I want us to turn our attention to our response to all this. And here's where the part I really like because it's one thing to describe the reality, but quite frankly, some of you are sitting here today and you're going, but pastor, this is personal for me. I mean, I'm in it right now. I'm going through it right now, and it's intense. Please don't give me any glib advice here. I need something that works. How should I respond to this situation I'm going through? Well, for the remainder of our time, I just want to briefly give you what I believe is some biblical wisdom. I want to give you three sound suggestions that have not only God has used for me, but for so many other brothers and sisters I know through many years. The first suggestion would be this. This is how you can keep your boat afloat by God's grace, no matter what you're going through. Number one, don't fight the battle alone. Please, please, please. Our first instinct is to draw back from other Christians, to stop going to our small group, to... Get back away from church attendance and worship. We tend to draw away. But just the opposite is appropriate when we're really going through it. Celestine Stewart Sherman, whose email I read to you earlier, shared one of the keys that God has used for them to thrive through all of the stress they're going through. Celeste goes on, Dear Pastor Rex, God has blessed us richly by surrounding us with love, support, and encouragement from our friends and church family. A group of men, for instance, from our church regularly check in on us and ask what they can do for us. These guys upgraded our former house so we could get a decent selling price to purchase a house that is more handicapped accessible. We're amazed at how God always provides neighbors, believers and non-believers, who shovel our driveway without, us even be, without even being asked. God is so amazing, she ends. And then she says, we are so blessed. Now, friends, let me say something to you. The Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. It's just, it's just not normal for a Christian to be living in isolation. That's why I will always and unapologetically urge you to link up your life with others, to Velcro your life to some other brothers and sisters that are on this journey too with Christ toward exploring, to beginning in Christ, to getting close to Christ, to becoming fully matured, Christ-centered people where he wants us to be. You need people in your life to go on that journey with. And what you'll find is that when you reach out to help others, you get helped in the process. 
Someone asked the great psychologist Carl Menninger what they should do if they felt a nervous breakdown coming on. They were shocked by his answer. They expected him to say, pamper yourself, go get a massage, take a vacation, go shopping, blow some money, do something for you because it's all about you. But no, the great psychologist said, I'll tell you what I'd do. If I felt a nervous breakdown coming on, I'd leave my house, I'd go across the tracks, whatever that means in your town, I'd go to someone less fortunate than I, and I would pour my life out in service for that person. That was his prescription for positive mental health. Now, in this Grace in Action initiative that we've been doing, I want to say a word right now quickly to our small group leaders. You're going to hear in just a few minutes about the results of this food drive that we've had the last three weekends. You're going to hear about our serving opportunities. And folks, it is astoundingly positive. But I want to say a word quickly to the small group leaders, all of you, men and women, who are taking on your shoulders the responsibility of moving people into maturity to fully Christ-centered people. Can I tell you something? Grace in action is entirely for you. That's the intention. And here's why. Because at Grace Fellowship, we use a little pie chart like this to describe what every small group is supposed to do. Love, learn, do, and decide. The decide is who's bringing the brownies next week, where are we meeting, are we going to stop through the summer or not? Every group needs some little logistical things, but 5% is really too much for that. It should be about 1%, okay? And these percentages are going to be different depending on your group. Some groups are going to be 70% due because they're very proactive. They're into action. They're into serving the hurting to justice causes and so on. Other groups may be 60% learning because they're just heavy-duty Bible study and theology. And some groups may be mostly love, where you're just really there to support one another, nurture one another, but you're also doing the other things. But here's what we say. Every healthy group does all of these things. Are you listening? Small group leaders, I'm talking to you at every location. Grace in Action was initially designed with you in mind to fulfill this due function. We don't want you to have to reinvent the wheel. We don't want you as group leaders to have to just make everything up as you go. We want to provide some easy avenues for you and all the members of your group to go missional and to do something outside of your group. That's the whole reason we started Grace in Action in the first place is so you could do that job better, all right? Just want to make that clear and it's also an opportunity for everyone, whether they're in a group or not, to get involved in serving. Now, each week we've been introducing you to a new partner. We're going to introduce you to one more next week, okay? But today, I want you to meet Franklin Community Center in Saratoga. One of our wonderful partners is working closely with us to relieve human suffering. And Michelle Sloan, our Grace in Action champion from Saratoga, talked recently to Jamie Williams, the Associate Director of Franklin Community Center. Let's listen to this brief interview.
Jamie, thank you so much for meeting with us today and for doing this interview so we can get a snapshot of Franklin Community Center. And for those of us in the congregation that don't know where you're located, can you tell us you know, what your address is and where we are right now? Sure. Uh, well, our main office is at 10 Franklin Street, so we're on the west side of Saratoga. Um, it's a little unassuming building. It's brick. It's got a white picket fence, and our trademark is our bright blue door up on our porch. So it's kind of what we put everywhere. Look for the bright blue door. So this is our free store. Okay. Um, people bring in their items every Tuesday um, between 9 and 1, and we have a great group of volunteers who kind of sort them and hang them up. And the food pantry started in the 80s okay. as a shoe rack hanging on the back of a door where people would put food in it and people would take food out of it wow. um, and it's grown tremendously since those days um, right now it's in a very small room uh -huh. it's just over 100 square feet and it's non-perishable items and it's emergency supplies so it's like three days worth of food uh, for everyone in the household this the is going to be space. the space that we just saw right is going to be expanded to this so the amount of storage space we'll have and like shelving space we'll have here is six times what we had in wow. that other space that's tremendous your website says you're trying to make a difference and there's a lot of programs in the area that are faith-based or non-faith-based trying to make a difference but I having had kids in the Saratoga Springs High School heard of Project Lift and I feel like it's so unique to Franklin community can you kind of expand on what that program is the program is for first through fifth grade um, we consider it for at-risk youth majority of our families are lower income um, and are in need of other services that are provided through the center um, we do a lot of drug alcohol tobacco prevention mm -hmm. um, it's not a just say no program it's a program that's going to give them the information so they can make a good decision um, going forward and project lift meets two days a week throughout the school year we meet two days a week at each school so okay. we're two days at geyser and two days at greenfield currently oh. but right here is our apartment building. So there are 17 efficiency apartments okay. um, for single adults. You know, we don't have any of our own money. Right. Our money is all donations, fundraising. It's people entrusting us with their money to make good decisions to help out the community. Right. And we value that, and we realize the importance of that. I think that's works. good that the community works together. Yeah. And helps you guys out. Yeah. Because it's for a great cause. It is. It and is. Especially well, it's, when it's an investment back in our community. It is an investment back in the community. Well, I thank you very much for yes. spending this time with us yeah. today. Thanks for coming. I and appreciate it. No, and giving us a snapshot of um, what Franklin Community is all about and letting the members of our congregation know what Franklin Community is all yeah. about. And Absolutely. Like I said, we look forward to a really long relationship with you. And we thank you for giving us this place to help rehab for our Grace and Action I know you guys off. are going to have fun with that. Yeah, I mean, we've got people <laughs> all over the Capital Region doing work, so we are really fortunate to have you guys here in Saratoga that we can do this too. Well, we appreciate it. We, we're thrilled when you guys reached out, and we look forward to a long relationship. Yeah, it'll be great. Thank you so much, Thank Jamie. You. Man, good. Now, hey, it's time to report some numbers here, and we'll be right back to this exciting story to kind of wrap up these final two suggestions of what you should do because you're right in the middle of a storm. But, you know, for three weekends, we ask you to bring non-perishable food items or personal hygiene items. And a couple of weeks there, we got slammed with weather. But, boy, last weekend, you came through big. And here are the numbers from just last weekend. You brought 8,293 items for an average of 2.39 items per person. Just give some applause to God for that. Thank you, guys. That was unbelievable. 
But here's a number that really blows my mind. Now remember, we started with a goal of one item per person per weekend. That, that was the goal, all right? And if attendance had been normal, that would have been just barely over uh, 10,000 items. But you guys gave 14,893 items for an average of 1.88 items per person. That is astounding. And we're going to be able to just fill to overflowing the food pantries of these 10 partners. We're also going to be able to help a number of people in the Grace Fellowship family who uh, qualify for this kind of help and have indicated that need. We thank God for that. Let me quickly report from the first weekend of serving opportunities. You remember, Friday, Saturday, 6 and 7 were the first times that we went to serve, all right? We had 418 people show up with great attitudes on assignment for serving, all right? That's actually a little bit more than we even anticipated, okay, for this particular weekend. We've got one more weekend coming next Friday and Saturday where there's 300 and something opportunities that folks have committed to and, and signed up for And I'll tell you, the stories that are coming out of this are amazing. On the last weekend, we're going to share with you some of the footage from these serving opportunities as we kind of do a big celebration together. But one more time, I'm going to ask you here to just put your hands together and thank the Lord for all the amazing service that's been done. Thanks, guys. Thanks for all of you who signed up and showed up. Thank you for walking the walk. You don't want to go through struggles alone. There's two more things that I want to mention as we wrap up today. My second suggestion would be when you're stressed out, ask yourself, what can I learn from this? Now, I'm not suggesting here, please hear this part. I'm not suggesting that there always be some night, tidy, neat, wonderful little lesson just lying there on the surface like a nugget of gold that you can just pick up. That's not my experience. I sometimes look for things God wants me to get from this, things he wants me to learn, and they're not obvious. My experience is that gold is there, but it usually has to be mined a little bit. It's not lying on the surface, usually. And so I would suggest you ask, not what happened, but what's happening here. The legend goes that Isaac Newton, who first clearly articulated the law of gravity, Uh, literally the story goes in legend that he was sitting under an oak tree one day as a young man, just kind of a, you know, burgeoning scientist with his thinking, and an acorn hit him on the head. That's going to happen if you sit under an oak tree. But instead of asking what happened, he asked, what's happening here? Why do acorns always fall down And not up or sideways. What's going on here? And it led, it launched him into some marvelous discoveries. When you're suffering, ask God, Lord, what's happening here? What principle do I need to learn? What character quality do you want to build in me? In which area do I need to grow? Now, the most common question I've been asked as a pastor for decades is, how do I know what God wants me to do? That's an okay question. In fact, God really cares about what you do vocationally or avocationally. It's a good question. 
But if you're not asking another question, you're missing it. The question that really matters is not what does God want me to do, but what kind of person does God want me to become? There's the real question. God is a lot more interested in your character, in the person you are becoming, than in what you particularly do to put food on the table. Ask yourself as you're going through struggles, what's happening here? Am I allowing God to build me, build my character through this? Because adversity is one of his greatest building tools. And finally today, proclaim the goodness of God even in the midst of the storm. Paul is a great example of that. He was in prison in Rome, shackled with chains. Uh, The guy who was one of his best friends in ministry had almost died, Epaphroditus. He wrote about that in Philippians chapter 2. He had virtually no one in Rome to help him out. Some people were saying bad things about him. Besides that, he could lose his life at any time because there was an emperor on the throne, Nero, whose emotions were meteoric and who was so inconsistent. And so all this is going on. But Paul describes his attitude. Philippians 1-2. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, all the prison, all the chains, all the misunderstandings, all the sickness, all the setbacks, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul knew that suffering gives you a platform to proclaim the gospel and the goodness of God like nothing else can. It's easy to praise God when your wallet is fat, your job is secure, your friends are many, your health is fine. But when all these things fail and you still give testimony to God's goodness, you just kicked it up a notch. That is powerful. Annie Johnson Flint was one of the finest Christians, I believe, that's ever lived. In the late 18 and early 1900s, she inspired at least two generations of Christians during her lifetime. And her poetry, which is astounding, has continued to inspire millions after her death. Her life started off pretty normal. Mom, dad, sister, But her mother died when she was a very young girl. Her father died a bit later, and she and her sister had foster parents. Some years later, both of them died. Well, those are tragic things, but you know, adversity happens. She still had her life ahead of her, a great vocation. She was a teacher by training, and she started teaching as a young woman out of school, but she could hardly complete her third year because she contracted a crippling form of arthritis that made her virtually bedridden for the rest of her life, totally dependent on the care of others. But you know what? She was a Christian. She made the best of it. She had a good attitude. She continued to write poetry, which would inspire people. And yet, she became increasingly helpless for over 40 years. For over 40 years. She hardly had a day without pain. For over 40 years, she became increasingly helpless. And through it all, she continued to write inspirational poetry. Yet as the years went on and her suffering increased, she became virtually blind She began to battle cancer, became incontinent, 
Her biographer says that the last time he saw the great woman, she had seven pillows cushioning her body from the excruciating bed sores. Now you say, how could anyone endure such suffering and keep a positive attitude? I think the key is found in one of her poems. It's called, He Giveth More Grace. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Are you hurting today? What if I were to say to you, you can inspire millions with heavenly poetry like that. But in order to do so, you gotta be orphaned, arthritic, blind, incontinent, battle cancer, bedridden, dependent on others. I wonder how many of you would take me up on the offer. God does his best work in us when the storm is greatest around us. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the incredible lessons that come out of this episode on a little boat ride with your disciples. Thank you that we can praise you through the storm and declare your goodness best when the storm is most fierce. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.